Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, my name's John Stevens, and I'll be bringing this sermon this week. So, um, uh, Jonathan, as said, is away in, uh, in Croatia. Um, everyone's favourite former Yugoslavian state. And, um, and so there's an interruption in the series of sermons that we've been receiving from Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan had been doing a series on Elijah from uh, 1 Kings, but, um, but there's an interruption to that today, and I'm talking about faith. But um, I just wanted to bring an encouragement to anyone who hasn't listened to all three of the sermons we've had about Elijah so far. Um, We've been quite blessed in this church to have teaching from uh, John Melindy and, and Mark here several times and on the video. And I was kind of discussing this with Stella, that we felt that, you know, when you've received a word directly from God, which is relevant for the time, there's like a, you can feel things being broken in you, but there's no condemnation. So there's conviction from the word of God, but there's no condemnation. And, and the word comes to you exactly the right time. And I, and I just, I have to say, to encourage you, that that is exactly what's happened with these three sermons we've had about Elijah from Jonathan. They've been at exactly the right time, the exactly the right word from God that have come to us. And I should encourage us all to listen to them again or listen to them for the first time and to prepare ourselves for what we're going to receive because they've been awesome sermons. Um, but like I say, as an interruption from that today, so we just hope the standard won't drop too much. But um, I'm talking about faith. Um, from Hebrews chapter 11. And so the title for the podcast will be Faith hyphen Hebrews 11 or something like that. Um, okay, so, um, okay, so Hebrews chapter 11, uh, probably quite well known to all of us. Um, and it's obviously about faith, which is why the sermon's called Faith. Um, so Hebrews chapter 11 has the definition of what faith is. It's the place in the Bible where where faith is defined in the first few verses. And then it kind of contains this hall of fame of faith. So it's like these heroes of faith from the Old Testament. And verse 2 in Hebrews 11 says that the the heroes of old or something like that were, were known by their faith. So the way that these great characters from the Old Testament became great characters is because of their faith. Um, And so Hebrews 11 has kind of a list of these stories and how they showed their faith and stuff. Um, And so the purpose of the the letter, um, the purpose of this bit of the letter of this chapter is to bring encouragement to people who might be flagging in their faith. So it defines faith and then brings encouragement. Um, And now the thing about Hebrews 11 being quite well known to us is that it might say it's quite difficult to to kind of bring something fresh if people know the passage really well. But kind of the point is that the church, the church that that the writer of the Hebrews was writing to, these stories were very familiar to them as well. But the writer still wanted to bring out uh, why faith was important to encourage them to persevere. So we might be going over uh, stories that you've heard lots of times, but so were they when they received the letter. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's why it's obviously good to encourage us further. 
Um, and actually, we're going to add a bit of chapter 10 to chapter 11 when I read it out to kind of bring a bit more, a bit more context to the passage. Um, so I'm going to read, I'm going to read um, Hebrews 10 from verse 32, um, and then, uh, and then we'll move on to what I'm going to say. Okay, so uh, yeah, from verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that would last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we see now did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. 
That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leant on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commended them to take his bones with them when they left. Um, And then I'm skipping down to verse 30. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Amen. Um, I skipped that out because that was getting quite long there. But um, yeah, but a great passage and one that's familiar, um, as I say, to all of us. So uh, like, like the letter, um, I intend to kind of look at the definition of faith, which he gives there at the beginning, um, and then to bring encouragement to us by going through some of these some of these great people, the, the kind of the Hall of Fame, as it says. Um, and then I'll try and, try and draw out another couple of points as well. Um, okay, so what is faith? Uh, so the definition kind of comes in verse 1, pretty much. Um, the King James Version has verse 1 as, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The New Living Translation which I was reading from there. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will happen and gives assurance about things we cannot see. So, uh, faith uh, is kind of our relationship with things that we cannot see. Um, things that aren't material or visible. 
Um, we have five senses, as we all know, um, and our relationship with things in the material world comes through our senses. But, um, but there are things which we can't see, and there are things which have not yet occurred that we also have a relationship with. And our relationship with them is kind of about faith, or also fear, as we'll come on to. Um, so faith is about being assured about things that you can't see or that you can't know uh, are to happen. Um, so we operate in faith quite a lot of the time. Um, none of us are certain that this roof is not... None of us can be certain that the roof's not going to fall down sometime this morning while I'm delivering the sermon. None of us are certain of that. But because you've been in buildings before that haven't fallen down, and because you know that's a heavy steel object, and because you know there are columns there, you have faith that the... See my building expertise there? My uh, heavy steel object... Uh, you have faith in those things that the building's not going to fall down. Okay, so you have faith. So there's, we're all quite assured that the building's not going to collapse because otherwise we wouldn't have come here this morning. And none of us are sitting here worrying about that. And um, later today, I'm going for lunch at my parents' house and I, I am hoping to have a good meal. And I have quite a lot of faith that that's going to happen because I've been there before and eaten good meals. So I'm quite assured that the hope I have in the future is going to be there. So again, that's faith. So you can see we operate in faith a lot of the time. But because this is the Bible, obviously this is talking about us having faith in God. So that's, that's more what we're going to look at. And the reason um, that it's important to look at our faith in God is as verse 6 says famously, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Um, and as I read out, Hebrews 10, verse 38, which was quoting Habakkuk 2, verse 3 and 4, the righteous shall live by faith, but I, that's God, will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Now, in a way, verse 6, there's, it's quite logical that it's impossible to please God without faith. Because you can't see God, so in order to believe in him, you have to have faith. So, so if you didn't have any faith, you couldn't believe in God. So obviously God wouldn't be pleased with you if you didn't think he exists. So that's quite, there's quite a, like an obvious logic to that. But that's not really, again, that's not necessarily like the main point here. Um, so faith is our conviction that although we can't see God, he is real. And although we can't touch him in the material world, so he's not present in the material world, but, uh, but he's the maker of all of it. And faith allows us, in verse 3, to have that conviction. So faith allows us to see the material world and know that it was made by God. And it says something about the seen world coming from the unseen world. And that's why David wrote in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens display the glories of God. The skies speak of his craftsmanship. Um, as a Christian, you probably find quite often you see something really beautiful, like you're on a clifftop and you look down at like a deserted bay or something like that, and you think, what, like, what extraordinary beauty. This must have been made by God. As a Christian, or kind of, we all kind of feel like that. And a lot of the time, we, we probably wonder why our humanist, secular friends, friends don't see in the same way, because it seems such a logical thing to us. But as verse 3 says, that is faith that allows us to understand that things were, that all things were made by him. 
And then faith is our confidence and assurance of things to come. Um, Jonathan talked last week, and we prayed at the end, about, about fear and overcoming fear. And, um, and most of the things that people are afraid about are kind of in, deal with the area of the unknown. So my wife is ridiculously scared of spiders, and uh, despite living with her for however long, I still can't really grasp what that is. But I take it, the, the fear of the spiders, that you don't know what the spider's going to do to you. Nothing, because it's so small. But you don't know what the spider's going to do to you. And, um, and again, like you might be afraid of a situation you've got coming up at work or something like that, or sometimes we're afraid of what other people might think of us. But generally, the things that we're afraid of, it's, it's because we don't know what's going to happen, and what we fear is that, that what will happen, we won't be able to deal with. So will we be able to cope with what's going to happen? No. That's, that's, that's what most, it seems to me, that's what most fear is about. And that's where most fear comes from. And as Jonathan said, faith is the opposite of fear. So faith is, is, the, faith is the assurance that what you hope for will happen. And what comes with fear is it's like you're thinking the worst about what could happen and you don't feel you can cope. Whereas faith tells you that you're confident that your hopes will happen and therefore you can deal with the future. So you can see, you can see there why they're opposites. And I think the simple point, I dropped the big paper clip. I think the simple point that, 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 that kind of comes from this is if we believe in Yahweh, if we believe in Almighty God, then fear is not an appropriate response to the unseen and to the future. It's not, it's not appropriate. If we, uh, God is eternal and was before anything, and when everything falls away, God will still be there. And everything that exists was made by him. And he says that he is love, and the entire history of mankind, he has been trying to redeem to himself those who have gone astray. And uh, he loved us enough to send his only son to die an innocent death for all of us. And throughout history, he's delivered people from impossible situations, trapped between the sea and an advancing army, and, uh, and taken on massive armies with like 300 people. He repeatedly delivers people from impossible situations. And what, he's a God who forms covenants with his people. So a God who never breaks his word comes into a binding agreement with us to protect us and look after us and fight for us. These are the promises which God makes with us. And then he says he's our protector and our shield, and he says he'll provide all that we need, and like I say, he says he'll come and fight for us when we're in trouble. There's a reason that God says in the Bible, do not be afraid 366 times. It's because we are not to be afraid. The God that we are partnered with promises to provide all we need, to defend us always, to give us a hope and a future, and to reward us when we seek him. So it's kind, of, it's kind of obvious that we should have faith and assurance for the future, because he promises to do that. And so we can kind of see, we can kind of see why, without faith in God, we're not going to be able to please him. And you, know, you could even take it further as to say that the fear we have of the future displeases God. 
and, and, and it would. Because if we believe that God is who he said he was, we'd, we wouldn't need to have any fear. You see what I mean? There's no need for fear because God is with us and he is who he says he is. So the reason that we would have fear and not faith would be because we didn't believe in God. And that's why God is displeased by fear and pleased by faith. Because it's almost like, uh, it's almost like faith and showing a belief in God is worshipping him because it's declaring who he is by our actions. You see, like, we understand that. We, that makes sense to us. And that's why we want to live by faith and we want to be free from fear. Okay, so I've, that's, that's what is faith. I've defined faith, you all experts now, in what faith is. Um, so we'll just have a look at, um, at... We'll kind of go through and look at some of these. So this is the Hall of Fame of faith. As it says again in verse 2, through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. So the first one mentioned is Abel, the brother of Cain. Um, and now his story is in Genesis chapter 4. Um, now, the story in Genesis chapter 4 doesn't mention um, faith at all, but the writer of Hebrews insists that, uh, that Abel was uh, showed by faith that he was a righteous man. So we go along with that. Um, so what happened, how Abel displayed his faith was that he was a, a pastoral farmer, which means he raised animals, and his brother Cain was an arable farmer, which means he grew plants. And they both came to make an offering to God, and Cain brought some of the crops that he'd harvested, and Abel brought the best, the best portions of the best lambs of the first ones born to him. Um, and so the offering was pleasing to God. So I suppose Abel displayed his faith by, being, by giving away the very best he had to God and seeing that that was a worthy, that that was a worthy thing to do. So he recognised that the very best of what, give, what God had given him, he should give to God. So in a way, that action displayed his worship of God. So the faith is that he understood. So he understood who God was, and that's why he responded with that. So that's, that's how Abel showed his faith. The next person he talks about is Enoch. Um, Enoch is in Genesis chapter 5. And again, uh, there's not a great deal about Enoch in the Bible, but we kind of probably all know the story, or we should all know the story. Um, so Enoch lived to be 365 years of age, and he had a son when he was 65. And, um, and what the Bible says about Enoch was he walked in close fellowship with God for 300 years. And, uh, and then God came and took him. Um, now, we don't, like, like I say, the, in Genesis, it doesn't really say why that displayed faith. Because um, it's not like God said, I'm going to take you and Enoch believed. He just walked in, he just walked in fellowship with God. But I suppose, I suppose it's kind of an echo of the promise that we too will receive in Enoch. And that's why the story brings encouragement to us. Because our destiny too is to walk in close fellowship with God and then not die. Because if we walk in close fellowship with God, we receive the eternal life that he promises. 
And I suppose that, that, that you know, I suppose the faith that Enoch shows is that he, because uh, the Bible doesn't say what Enoch did for a job, and it doesn't say anything about his wife, it doesn't say anything really about him other than he walked in close fellowship with God. And Enoch knew that if he put God first in his life, everything else would be added to. And then you see the reward of his, he didn't die. So uh, just like David's epitaph when he dies is that he did the purposes of God in his lifetime. Enoch's too, another one to aim for, that people would say of us, we walked in close fellowship with God and then he took us. And we didn't die. So, so they're the first two. And like I say, they don't, the stories in the Bible don't necessarily talk about them having faith, but, but they showed faith. Okay, but the next one is Noah. Um, and that's in verse 7. And obviously Noah's in chapter 6 of, of Genesis. So, um, and we know what happened to Noah. Uh, the people of the earth were very wicked, and uh, Noah was the only righteous man in the earth. And again, he walked in close fellowship with God. And uh, so God came to him and said he would make a covenant with him, build a large boat, and take two of every animal, and I'm going to destroy everyone else in the earth, but I'll keep you safe. And, uh, and what the Bible says is that Noah did exactly what God commanded. The last verse of Genesis chapter 6, God did exactly what God had commanded. And uh, we, whenever you, we kind of think about the story of Noah, of Noah, like everyone mocking Noah as he builds the boat and everything like that. Now that's not anywhere in the Bible. That's not in the account here in the Bible. The account simply says that God told Noah what to do and Noah did exactly what God commanded. Now, you might not uh, entire, You might not think that Genesis is an entirely scientifically accurate view of the human world. I do, but you might not. But uh, what Genesis suggests up to this point is that in Genesis chapter 2, when God talks about how he watered the plants, there hadn't been any rain. So Genesis, a verse in chapter 2 where it says that the springs of water came up from under the ground and watered the plants because God hadn't yet sent any rain. That's what it says. And then it doesn't say again anywhere until chapter 6 that it had started to rain. So, uh, so you could think that, that Noah had never seen rain. So there's kind of, it's not necessarily within the realms of what Noah could see to be told that he should build a massive boat because God's going to flood the earth. But what Noah, did in, what Noah did was he did exactly what the Lord commanded. In the face of what he could see in the material world, that, that didn't matter, because how Noah lived, he lived in close fellowship with God, and when God spoke to him, he did exactly as God had commanded. And that is how Noah showed his faith. Um, the next one... Um, it's Abraham, and apologies in advance if I say Abraham when I should have said Abraham, or I say Abraham when I should have said Abraham, because he changes his name midway through the story. Um, and that's to be found in Genesis chapter 12, and I'm just going to turn to that, because uh, it's quite easy to turn to. Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, this is chapter 12, verse 1, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, 
I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Hey, um, so uh, it says a bit later than that, Abraham was 75 when he set off with his wife Sarah, or Sarai, or, and his cousin, no, sorry, his nephew, Lot, 75 years old. And as we know, Abraham didn't have any children because his wife was, his wife was barren. Um, so that's quite, that's quite a promise to give to a 75-year-old man whose 75-year-old wife is barren. My, uh, my mum isn't quite 75. She's uh, 71, but she's uh, not about... That's a, she's actually 61. She's... Uh, that's my only joke for the day. The, uh, but she's not about to have any more children. She's not going to have any more children. And so if you said... If it was said to her move to Russia and I'll make you a great nation with the children that you're going to have. You could see why she would be quite loath to follow that instruction. Do you understand this? This is... It took serious faith for Abraham to make this journey. Um, he was leaving behind his family, his father and his other ancestors, and, and the land that they knew, and he was going to go to a new journey. And here, more than anywhere else perhaps... God's promise is contrary to the physical evidence that Abraham can see. So, um, obviously Abraham and Sarah will have tried and tried to have children. And then they'll come to a point where they, it's just not going to happen. And it's accepted it's not going to happen. And then God says, move hundreds of miles because you're going to have, you're going to have ancestors and a family and I'll make them a great nation. And so he does it. Um, and that's awesome, and that's faith. Because in, the, in contrary to what he can see, Abraham has assurance and enough confidence in what he would hope for, and God says he should do, to travel hundreds of miles and to believe this thing will happen, even though it looks impossible. And then the other thing with Abraham here is that the promise that's... Verses 13 to 16 say that the promise to Abraham is before him, and he's not going to see it. So Abraham will have a land. There'll be a land for Abraham's family, and there'll be a great family, and people will praise his name. People will remember his name as being a great name, and they do today. But, uh, but Abraham won't see any of that. He's not going to see that, but he still believes. And, it ha- and it's that great verse. It's that great verse, verse 16. Uh, 15 and 16. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And just as, just as Abraham's people might have been nomadic and moving about in tents, Abraham's spiritual journey when God called him was nomadic. He was on a spiritual journey that nothing was going to move him off. And he was bound for that homeland. And its people who are prepared to leave what they know, leave what they know and go where God says, that God says he's not ashamed to be called their God. And, you know, we learned at the conference recently that, that God, was, God, God was known as the God of Abraham because he was covenanted with Abraham. 
And so they exchanged names. So Abraham, be, Abraham be, became the father of nations and God became the God of Abraham. But also, God was not ashamed to take that name because Abraham was not ashamed to put all his trust in God and to do what God said. And they're the people that God is not ashamed to be the God of, the people who would do what he says without thinking of the consequence or without thinking about the material things they'll see. So that's awesome. And then the third, the third bit with Abraham uh, is, it says, where's the verse? It's verse 17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. You know, the story of Abraham, it's like Abraham travelled this very long way, like he was asked to. And he tries to have a son, he tries to have a son with, the, with the servant, and the son's called Ishmael. So God, he try, Abraham and Sarah try and manage the situation of having a son themselves, um, not in faith, and that, and that goes quite bad. I'm not going to say that the consequences of that have been devastating for the world, but they haven't been good. It would have been better if Abraham had not had his son Ishmael. But, uh, but, uh, but eventually, um, God does this miracle. When Sarah's even older than 75, she becomes pregnant. And it's almost like that would be, uh, that would be, the, great, that would be the great story. So Abraham... It seemed impossible, and God did what Abraham did and travelled a long way, and eventually they waited and waited, and it got harder and harder for her to have a son because she was so old. And then they had a son, and that was one. And they, they had faith in God, and he rewarded them. So that could be the end of a story. And it's like when you watch that last Lord of the Rings film, and they keep sticking extra endings onto it, because there's another bit of the story. And that is that God then asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, it's just extraordinary, it's just an extraordinary story to imagine Abraham tying his son up and putting him on an altar. This is, it's just extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. And I don't, I, I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't have the faith to do that, but I just, well, I am going to say I wouldn't have the faith to do that. I have a son He's coming up to two years old. And uh, I would struggle to, to kill my son. And that's because I love my son, right? And, uh, but it's like God promised that son. That was like an, he was like an impossible son. He was like a miracle son, Isaac. Because Sarah was like a barren all her life and 100 years old when, when they had Isaac. And so it's like, they've, it's like the result of their faith. It's like they can see how God's promise is going to be fulfilled when they have Isaac. As it says, it says it there, doesn't it? Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. And so they've waited all this time and trusted God for this miracle that's, that's going to bring his future to come. And then God basically tells him to kill that miracle. Now, leave, like, even if he could get over his great love for his miracle son and be prepared to kill him, would you not be starting to question why God would go against his own, why he would go against his own, like his own miracle of faith, like his own destiny for, for, for Abraham? It's like he's, 
Like he's going against his own promise. But Abraham doesn't question. He ties up his son. He puts him on the altar and he's about to kill him. And he would have killed him if God hadn't said no. He would have killed him. This is, this is what we know from the Bible. And that is awesome faith. That's awesome faith. Because it's, it's, not, you know, it's not only against his material desires. He doesn't only surrender his material desires to have a son and kill his son. He also goes against what God had previously promised him. He's prepared to go against He does whatever God says. That's what Abraham would do by this point. That's awesome faith. It's the greatest faith a man has shown in the Bible. It's awesome. It's awesome faith. And I don't really see why it's encouraging, because all I sense is that I would never, ever be able to do that. But there we go. It's encouraging. It's encouraging. Uh, but, God, but God rewarded Abraham for, for his faith. He rewarded him by seeking him, by, by doing all the things that he promised. Um, and then, I'm, like I skipped out reading through there, for time, uh, we'll skip down to verse 31. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. So, we know the story of, we know the story of, of Rahab. Um, she is a prostitute in Jericho, and the two spies who have come to spy out the land go and stay in Rahab's house. And then other people have spotted this and they tell the soldiers that the spies are in Rahab's house and the soldiers and the king's men come to to get the spies and she says no. And then she tells the men that she she did this because she knows they've heard the stories that God parted the Red Sea and they have heard that uh, the, the, the God of Israel and she knows that the God of Israel is the Lord, that he is all powerful. And so she basically, she puts her trust in him and says to the men, I, I will release you if, like, if, you, if you remember me. And the men say, because you've done this, God's going to spare your life. And so, uh, and so she puts a red rope on her window. Um, and when Jericho's destroyed, when Jericho's destroyed by seven men blowing trumpets and people shouting, as, and this, you know, that's featured again here, because again, the awesome faith of an army prepared to walk around, as Johnny was saying, and instead of fighting, they'll blow their trumpets and shout, and God will give them the victory. And when that happens, and the whole city is destroyed, and everyone's killed, Rahab and her family uh, are, are remained. And that's by faith in God that saved their life. We can see that. So it's another awesome story. And, uh, and food for thought for all of us about accepting what society would see as the detritus and sinner. Immediately redeemed. All she'd done, immediately redeemed when she placed her faith in God. It didn't matter that she's a... It's not important that she's a prostitute. And she later goes on, is it in Luke? She's in the hereditary line of Jesus from, uh, from the Noah, wherever it's from. She's in the hereditary line of Jesus because of that faith. Amen. So awesome an awesome woman, and then, um, and then they kind of go through, there's this list, it will take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, and it would indeed take too long for me to cover all of them, but David fighting Goliath is quite awesome there, 
in the story, but we're not going to go any more on them. And we just say from these, if we face difficulties and situations that seem to be impossible in our lives right now, then that's good, because so did these people. And they entered this hall of fame because they endured and trusted God and they obeyed God in the face of whatever their circumstances were. They obeyed God. And, um, and I suppose it... Like, the only reason we wouldn't do exactly what God said, as Abraham and Noah would, would be if we didn't trust him or we didn't know him. That would be the only reason we wouldn't do exactly what he said um, because we, we wouldn't know that he knows everything and he's faithful and he's our provider and he's the one who has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. It's if we wouldn't know those things. If we wouldn't know God, that's why we, uh, that's why we wouldn't do that. Um, and then, but you know, there are testimonies all over this church of where people have begun to get into God's word and read God's word and he's revealed who he is and that strengthens us for the circumstances that we face. Um, so I hope that this, that this kind of going through here um, has encouraged you in the way that this is meant to. And basically what we, what we just see is that when God commands us to do something, no matter what we face, we need to obey it. Because he is faithful to us. And he provides all that we need. And as it says in Matthew 6, uh, how much more... I don't know where I've got that written. But uh, if God cares for the wildflowers of the field, which are here one day and then gathered up and thrown into the fire the next, how much more will he care for us? We, uh, we should be encouraged by the faith of these people. We should be encouraged in our circumstances. Um, but, okay, so that's kind of going through what the passage says. Um, but there's a couple more points I just wanted to, uh, wanted to look at. And one of them is, um, starts in James. So if you want to turn with me, it's like the, it's the next chapter. How convenient. Uh, James chapter 2. We've got time, we've got time. James chapter 2, verse 14. And this entitled, Faith Without Good Deeds is Dead. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. 
And so it happens, just as the Scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them, away, sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So we looked at Rahab just now, and we see Rahab there. And you kind of, when you look at what Rahab says um, in Joshua chapter 2, she says, um, everyone in the city has heard of your God, and everyone is terrified. But she, so everyone knows how awesome, everyone has heard of God, so everyone in the city believes that God exists. But she's the only person who says to the spies, like, I'm trusting in you to save me, I'm trusting in God to save me. So she's the only one who responds to what happens. You know, and I, the point I wanted to, to draw from, from this is kind of related to our salvation. So, so the gospel, as we see, is that God, by his goodness, revealed to us that he sent his son Jesus to die, on, die in our place on the cross. And so uh, when we believe in Jesus, we are able to exchange the place with him. If we believe that he died for our sin, that he received the punishment that was due to us, in exchange, we would receive the sonship he had with God. So we would, be, we would be reconciled to God because we would be seen as righteous before God just as Jesus was seen, just as Jesus was seen to be punished for the sin. So we've now then been redeemed to God and we've been called his sons and daughters and we've exchanged our old life for a new life. We've exchanged the old life of sin for a new life, and we've been given the Holy Spirit to guide us and to live by in that new life. And the Bible says that Jesus, that God purchased us with a great price, and that great price was the blood of Jesus shed upon the cross. Amen. So we are, we are God's sons and daughters. He purchased us with Jesus, and since he purchased us, we're now his, and we're able to live for him, and we, we get eternal life at the end because we lived for him. So that's the gospel, right? So that's awesome. But if we, if we, so we have faith in this gospel, but this needs to be reflected, as James says, by our actions, because otherwise our faith in the gospel is dead. That's what it says. It's not enough to say we believe this gospel and it not to affect our lives. That's not enough. It's what James says. So for faith to be alive, we need to respond to the gospel by surrendering our lives and living the life that God has given us, and exchanging our old life for a new life. And so we need to surrender the way that we live for ourselves. So our ambitions, and our desires, and our hopes, and our plans, and living for ourselves by comforting ourselves, and doing what makes us happy, these things need to be surrendered in our lives, and we need to live for God's purposes, and we need to live to bring God glory instead of ourselves and, li- and, and live to praise God instead of comforting ourselves. And if we don't do this, our faith in the gospel is dead. This is what James would say. If it's not reflected by our actions, our faith in the gospel is dead. 
and I'm, I'm not, this isn't this isn't like a this isn't a condemnation for us. But we need, you know, we, we hear this message to surrender our lives. We hear this message in this church to surrender our lives and to be set apart for God. Um, but this is, but it's, you know, it's crucial for our understanding. We can't say we have faith in the gospel and live for ourselves. That, that is what John was writing about when he writes to the church in Laodicea. In Revelation 3. That's what he's saying. I'll just turn to that quickly. Verse 15. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water... Neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And later, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. It's not enough for us to profess that we believe in the gospel and to not surrender our lives to it in response. And that, that again, that displeases God. That's not pleasing to God. And he says he will spit us out of his mouth in response. So we need, so we need, need to be encouraged by this to come and surrender our lives before God and live for his purposes. And then lastly, the thing I wanted to say, let me turn back to Hebrews. Um, we, had the, uh, we had the World Trumpet Mission Summit here last weekend and, and one, of the teaching, one of the teaching sessions was, was uh, about, was kind of from, a little bit from uh, Matthew chapter 28. And, um, and so this is kind of about, it's basically about the commands that are before us. Um, you might not have had an Abraham-like revelation where God came to speak to you and told you what to do directly. You might have, you might have a, a purpose or a vision for something you're going to do that God's placed before you, and uh, amen if you have. But uh, I don't, and I, don't, I think the majority of us don't necessarily. Um, have, like Abraham did, this, uh, this impossible-sounding destiny, impossible-sounding purpose to live for in front of us. We don't necessarily... We, nece- we haven't received that revelation from God necessarily, all of us. But, um, but, but Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, uh, that will suffice, I think, for us. As, as a purpose for our lives. So if you haven't yet had that word like Abraham did to tell you to, to go to this place and do this thing, we'll just, we'll just make do with this great commission. I've given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, you might be like me, uh, in that you'd, you'd read that commission as being for the worldwide church to make some disciples in all the nations that they were in. Does that make sense? So, so as, the ch- as the Christian church, it would be good for us to make some disciples in England and some in France and some in America and some in Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, but that's not what this is talking about, um, necessarily. Um, this is talking to baptising the nations. So the purpose that's before us is to go and disciple the nations, the people groups, 
that we're in. So for us, that can be our family, that can be uh, the workplace we're in, that can be this church, that can be the town of Bromley, that could be the city of London, and lastly, that would be the nation of the UK. So the commission that's before us is to disciple the nation of the UK for Christ. Now, that, to some of us, I'm sure, that probably seems as impossible as starting a massive family with a barren 75-year-old woman. Where would we start to disciple this nation of the UK? But for God, that seems like a massive thing. That seems to be beyond the grasp of a church where attendances seem to weaken every year, where the where the census will reveal, will reveal every time that fewer people go to church than ever. But, uh, but that's the command that's before us. And if we look at Noah and we look at Abraham, we need to ignore the things that we see and how we would evaluate the situation and obey the command of God. And, uh, and again, like Abraham, it's possible that we won't see this nation discipled for Christ in our lifetime. It's possible that you won't see your family discipled for Christ in your lifetime. It's possible we won't see this town transformed in our lifetime. But Abraham didn't see his family grow vast, and he didn't see them permanently settle in the land of Canaan, and he didn't see his name become great in all the world. But he still obediently promised. He still did what was before him. And, uh, and we, need to, uh, we need to hear these words from 2 Chronicles again, and we, need to, uh, and we need to do what it says. 2 Chronicles 7. Then if my people, you've heard it hundreds of times, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will restore their land. You'll have heard recently in probably badly reported newscasts that the government were hoping to legalise gay marriage within this parliament. Now, I don't want to dwell on this particular issue because I'm sure Colin listening on the podcast or something has heard enough about this already, and I don't want to dwell on this particular issue. But uh, we need to wake up to what's happening in our nation. This is, like, this, this game, don't blow this issue out of proportion. This is reflective of a nation that is fallen and moves further away from God all the time. And listen to me, I don't want to speak ill of what's happened in anyone's lives, but 17 years ago, the church of this nation were lying on the floor and laughing while the shops outside started opening on Sundays, while this country started having a national lottery. That should not happen to us again. A revival in this land shouldn't again see the church shut itself off and have meetings. We need to be humbled, turn from our wicked ways, seek God's face and pray for our nation. And it doesn't matter if we don't see that transformation come. That is the purpose which God has set for us as the church, for your family. You know, I may not see my father become saved. I know that I'll live longer than him. 
We may not see that. It might not seem possible. We, we need to turn from our ways, humble ourselves, and pray. This is the command which is before us. Discipling this nation may seem impossible for man, but what faith gives us is the assurance that we obey his commands and we trust that what we hope for will happen, whether we see it or not. And that's what's before us. And again, just to, to link this to, to Elijah, because, because Jonathan's been talking about, you know, about Elijah coming and speaking to the revival, and we see how our land is so alike that which Elijah came and spoke into. You know, Elijah, the spirit of Elijah... Elijah came from, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. They say no one knew where Gilead was, no one knew where Tishbe was, and no one knew who Elijah was. But you know, Elijah had built himself in the quiet place as a man of prayer. And when when the time came, he obeyed God's command and came and said, enough. And we pray that that is the people we would be. Because God has... God has a purpose for us. There's a commission there for us to disciple this nation. And we need to have assurance and confidence that he will do that. And we need to obey his command. Turn from our wicked ways. Humble ourselves and pray. And he will come and heal our land. And he will give us the heavenly homeland he talks about. Even if we don't see that on earth. Um, I'm going to pray if Ian, you want to come and... Heavenly Father, Lord God, we pray. Lord, would you speak to us? Lord God, would you help us to know you as you really are? God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord God, that we would know you, that we would know your strength, Lord God, that our faith would be in you. God, we confess that there are areas of our life where we remain in fear about the future and about what will happen, oh God. We long for you to free us from those fears, oh God, and instead we would know you and put our faith in you. And Lord God, we pray for, the, for, the, for the what is before us, Lord God, the need to disciple this nation and this town. We say, Lord, although it seems impossible for us, impossible for man, it is the purpose you have put before us. And we pray that like Abraham and like Noah, we would be those who don't focus on the circumstances, but obey your command, O oh God, and live our lives for you in confidence and with the assurance that you will fulfill your promises, O oh God. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.